you wouldn't know this, but if you're familiar with the area, you would know this. When I say this word, two words, Stagecoach Road. Stagecoach Road. Now, legendary in that area, you may not have ever heard it before, but it was the place that all freshmen at East Texas Baptist University would go to be initiated. You weren't, you weren't a real EGBU tiger until you, you, you went there sometime after like 10 p.m. And, and because the, the, uh, there's lots of legend and lore around it. And if you were to search, don't do it right now, but if you were to search, because I did it this week, if you were to do a search for Stagecoach Road, Marshall, Texas, just Google it. Okay, you're going to get a bunch of videos that show up, and every single one of them will be some sort of paranormal investigator. It's true. I did it this week, and I watched some of them. And before I watched it, I didn't know, but after I watched it, I didn't realize that I was kin to so many paranormal investigators in East Texas because it's when you watch them, they're all like deep East Texas boys and girls, and they're like, hey, now, nah, we're going to be going down this, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, I'm kin to probably all of them. Y'all know what I'm talking about. But Stagecoach Road is really interesting. The reason why it is interesting is it used to be the pathway between Marshall, Texas and Shreveport, Louisiana, right across the border. And before the, before the train days in the early to mid 1800s, the stagecoach, stagecoaches would go back and forth to take stuff back and forth. And in the midst of that, uh, there's lots of traffic. And as there was lots of traffic, it would rain. And then the stagecoaches would come through and they would dig a rut. They would get stuck in a rut and kind of go along. And as you go, I remember going as a freshman and I remember going uh, and taking freshmen down there. And at the end of it, there's this burned down church. You can imagine it's just really at night. There's, it's really, really, there's nothing out there. There's no one out there. And you tell all these stories about ghosts and goblins and all these things. And, and uh, everybody's on edge. And I did that kind of stuff. But you go down, if you can see the picture, I don't have a picture, but I wanted you to just see it in your mind. There's about about a half mile to three quarters of a mile where on that, on that road, there's, there's all of these trees. It's a dirt road and there's trees just kind of hanging over, almost like they're going to come down and touch you. And all of a sudden on this stagecoach road, you go down, kind of way down. And there are these dirt walls next to you that are at some point for about a, about a half mile, they're about 10 to 12 foot tall. And you are down underneath it, and you have these walls, and then you have these trees overhanging, and it is eerie when you're going through there. So if you're going through there and you're taking a freshman, you go real slow through there. And if you're really mean, you place someone in the woods or something, and, or you put a light out there and tell all these ghost stories and those things. And if you watch the videos, you'll see what I'm talking about, and people think they see ghosts and all those things. And I'm not going to preach on ghosts today. That's a sermon for another time. But... In the midst of all those stage coaches going through, what happened is they made a rut, and then that rut got deeper and deeper and deeper, and then it rained, and it washed that out, and they got deeper and deeper and deeper, and that's what made those kind of, that trench where there's a cliff on both sides. I thought about that. I heard, um, I used to watch some shows on the Alaskan Gold Rush. I don't know if y'all have ever seen any of those, but but there's all these treacherous roads. And there was a sign on one of those treacherous roads that said this, choose your rut carefully. You'll be in it for the next 200 miles. As we open up the book of Malachi, I feel like that's where we have been. God's chosen people are in a rut. Because once you get in a rut, it's really difficult to get out of it. I don't know if you've ever been stuck 
I did grow up in East Texas. I did quite a bit of hunting back in my younger years. I have buried trucks and four-wheelers many, many times. Once you get something really, really stuck in a rut, it's very difficult. You, you get to a certain point where you, some, something or someone has to intervene, right? Where it has to get you out of that rut. And, and that is what I feel like God is doing through the prophet Malachi, trying to, as we've said, shake them to get their attention and say, look, it's time to wake up. And today we're going to continue that journey because it's not just to wake up. It's God saying, hey, I've got a plan. I've got a plan for, for this problem that you have. And so Malachi is a call to return to God. We'll begin our reading today in Malachi chapter 2 and begin where we left off last week in verse 17. It says this, You have wearied the Lord with your words. They keep asking questions. They keep giving a worship that God is not receiving. And we talked about that. Why? Because they're walking in disobedience. And then they respond with the question, how have we wearied him, you ask? They're evidently asking, like, what's going on? Why, why, why is God tired of listening to our voices in our worship by saying, and this is what they're saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them, or where is the God of justice? They are saying this to the Almighty God. I'm coming back to this in a moment. Can you imagine saying that to God? Woo. And this version says in verse 1, yeah, it misses it. Uh, sometimes I think uh, uh, translations are interesting. None of them are perfect. The original translation is perfect. Sometimes it's difficult. But if, if you have a different translation or even a different NIV uh, version, there, there's a word that's missing there that I think is really, really important. It, it, is, uh, it is, if you have New American Standard or some of the others or, or another NIV version, which is really interesting, different versions, Right. But it, it, there's a word there that says, see or behold. How many of your versions have that? All right. I just wanted to, I wanted a witness to know that I'm not making this up, okay? Uh, and that is actually a word. It's not a made-up word. It actually is a word. It says, see or behold. That matters, okay? So just kind of insert that into our reading. So there's a real stop there. There's a pause, and it says, behold. It's really important. In the midst of their having these conversations with God, there is a, a word there that I think is really, it's a, it's a transition point where, hey, you've had your thing you're saying to me. <laughs> Behold, it's my turn to talk. That, that matters here, right? And he says this, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So I will come to put you on a trial. This is like, whoo, this, this is serious stuff. So I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says 
the Lord Almighty. That's the end of our reading for today. It may not seem like it, but this is the most hopeful and hope-filled passage in the book of Malachi. Doesn't seem like it, but as we unpack this, you'll see why. There is, there is such an incredibly rich picture of what is to come. Yes, as it says in verses 5 and following, this judgment is coming. But before the judgment, the messenger will come. And what's going to happen? There's going to be an opportunity for those who are not right to be made right. And so as we walk this journey together, we kind of we said every week that, that the people of Israel have had some issues, they've had some problems, and we all do, and we all have these same problems if we're honest. We said that the people of Israel had a worship problem. They weren't giving God their best. You remember that? We said the people of Israel had a, had a reverence problem, that they had lost the awe of God in their lives. Last week, we said that the people of God had a faithfulness problem, that they had lost their fidelity to the one true God and to their spouses that we talked about last week and to each other. Are you with me? All of that really boils down to they had a problem that we all have. They have a sin problem. And for that, God had a remedy. He sent the Savior. That is what we need. I know you've probably heard this before. It's given credit to Max Licato, although he did not write it. He doesn't even know who wrote it. But it says this, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. But since our greatest need was forgiveness, God sent a Savior. You see, tucked in this verse right in the middle of Malachi is a very New Testament gospel picture for us. And that's what I want to unpack. I, I, I feel like today, uh, it's true every, every time uh, that I get the privilege to stand before you, but I feel like today that really all I have to offer today, I really have nothing <laughs> You ever, you ever just feel that like deep? But it's just so, so good. If you know how empty, like, like I, I don't have anything of value, but what I hold has so much value. Like when you compare the two, like, wow, that gets me. We open up in verse 17. I just want to take God's word and just unpack it for what it is because it's so rich today. It's so good and so needed that we, that we, as once said, that we should express and remember the gospel and preach it to ourselves every day. I kind of feel like we're doing that today. And maybe this is the first time you've heard it. I think the most of us, we probably have. I, I pray that we would hear it with fresh ears today. That, that I, I today, as God speaks to me through his word in a fresh way, as God speaks to you in a fresh way through his word, that, that God would do something really amazing and profound and supernatural in our hearts. The people in verse 17, they had three prideful presumptions about God. You probably saw them, but may I point them out in verse 17? 
The first is, they ask the question, how have we wearied him? We've been walking this journey, like so many ways. God is tired of them. Like, like it's such a prideful question. Like, wait a minute, we haven't done anything wrong. What are y'all talking about? What, God, what are you talking about? We haven't done and, and, and this is in response to all the other stuff we've talked about. And they know themselves, right? So that's such a pridefully arrogant thing. It's not an innocence. Like, how, how have we wearied God? It's more like, God, prove it. That is pride and arrogance at its best. And then they tell God that he likes evil. That's the second. That's prideful presumption upon God. Did you see that in verse 17? They're telling God, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. We don't really know exactly who he's talking about. Most think it's talking about like all the other people in the world, not 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 Jewish people that, that, that God has, has told them, like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless all the nations. Like some people talk about, they, they, they think it's, it's some people, just a, a handful of people in the people of Israel. It, it doesn't really matter. But they're saying, hey, God, uh, yeah, what, about, what about us? What about me? Why don't I have favor? And we look back, we know why. Because they had an awe problem. They had a faithfulness problem. They had a worship problem, right? We've been walking this journey together to say, okay, God, since you like all those other people and you don't like us, God, you like evil. Boy, wow. And then they say, where is the God of justice? Right in the midst of God speaking to them, they're saying, God, you are not a just God. And at that point, it's kind of like, you know, when you're a teenager and you had kind of an outburst to your parents and you had, I don't know what your out, outburst looked like. I don't, maybe it was something like, uh, y'all never let me do anything fun. And then your parent, your mom or dad, and if it's your dad, like that thundering voice and your dad just kind of puts the hammer down. Or, or like I got when I was in, in church and I wasn't acting right, I would get that thump on the head. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, and and that's, that's the see and behold moment in, verse, in, in chapter 3, verse 1, that I think is so important. It's God saying, hey, I, I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. Uh, you're not in a good place. You're stuck in a rut. I hear you. But what you think is injustice, let me tell you about my justice plan. And that's what he rolls out in verses 1 to 5. It's like, you think you know justice, but I, I, I invented justice. I, I know justice. So he says, behold, and he begins to roll out the story of redemption to them. That by the way, that God had been promising to them all along. And that's what it says there in verses 1 to 5. They'd been waiting for this. I'm going to send this messenger that you've been waiting for. It's like you're crying out, but you don't even see that, listen, I've always had a plan, and I'm, I, I, I continue to have a plan, and I am faithful to that plan. And that plan, we'll just go ahead and get to the end, and we'll take up an offering and go home. No, we won't. That plan is Jesus. Oh, so simple today. It's a complex matter of verses here, and we're going to spend some time unpacking them. But in, in the end, I just want to, it's, it's the Sunday school answer. The answer to, to their questions, the answers to all of their deepest longings, all, all of their, their deepest needs is Jesus. 
Jesus alone. He is the pathway. He is he's the one that they've been coming to save them. And he is the one, this pathway that we're going to talk about, there's a very clear one, two, three, four pathway that's going to happen when, when the Redeemer, the, the messenger, it uses the verse here, or the Messiah, that's the term that is often used in the Old Testament, is going to come. And so this is the pathway to salvation for us, but it also is the pathway to reconciliation for us. And so I feel like that, that one of those two applies to all of us. We need to hear the story of salvation, how we are redeemed from our sin. But we also need to hear that God is a God of restoration and reconciliation. And there's a a clear pathway here if we will just look at our verses 1 and following. If you grab your notes, the first is this. Verses 1a says that I will send a messenger who will prepare the way before me. So the first thing is there will be a clearing. That's the first thing. There will be a clearing. The, the word messenger here is used several times. And I believe, looking at the passage fairly deeply over the past few weeks and doing quite a bit of reading on who this messenger is, I believe that it's talking about two different messengers here in verse 1. I think it's really clear that, that there's two functions within these. The, the first is that there will be a clearing. We find in the first part of, of, of verse 1, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. It kind of sounds like the prophet Isaiah to me. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, when it says, There will be a voice calling from the wilderness, Clear the way for the Lord. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. And it, that, that probably should resonate with you. Like, who, who is that talking about? Who is that messenger that we are talking about? Well, we're talking about John the Baptist, right? He is the one that came to prepare a way. All of the Gospels in the New Testament, they connect. Like, the messenger, the one who came to prepare the way, is John the Baptist. And he would come before the Messiah. So what was the one who would prepare the way, who would make straight the pass? That, that, was, that was the one who would, and back in those days, it was the idea of making a road. In the road, there were all these hills, and there were rocks, and they had to remove the rocks, and they had to, to till the soil. They had to make the things straight so that, that the person coming can come in and lay that road. And so he's not, he's not the road. He's not the way. He's preparing the way. And that is the description of John the Baptist. He came to carve the line in the dirt to point people toward the the one who was to come after him. He was not the one who would change the heart, so to speak. He would be the one to prepare the heart. Because what was John the Baptist? What was his message? Do you remember? It was one word, repent. His message was repent. Repentance is a heart issue. Yes, it's an action issue. I was doing this, and now I'm going to go do this. But it's a transformation of the heart. It's a, ch- it's a choice. Like, I was going this way, and I'm going this way. And so John the Baptist's message is a, a, a spiritual, it is a heart issue, which we've talked about quite a bit. God says, listen, but take this to heart. You see, it's a heart issue that God's people had. And so God sent someone to prepare. He was going to send someone to prepare their heart. And we know through the lens of the New Testament that God's people had to wait a while for this. Because we're 450 before Christ or so. When Malachi is written, they had, to write, they had to wait 450 years for this messenger to come. 
but the messenger is important because the, the apathy for God's people was thick and deep. The hardness was thick and deep. And so the messenger would come, and what would he do? He would prepare the way before me. You see that? Did you see that? Prepare the way before me. In other words, like, it's really clear. Like, I'm going to come. Like, there's going to be somebody that comes before me, this messenger. I'm going to come. And then that leads to the second thing. There will be a coming. That's the second part of verse 1. Then suddenly, the Lord. My version has a capital L. That one has a capital L. You know why? That word is the word Adonai. Only used of God. It's not used of some king. That word Adonai is only used of divinity. And so suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come. Now, we don't know that here that it doesn't use the term Jesus, but we do know that that's Jesus came and, and he was the word that became flesh and dwelt among us through the lens of the gospel of John. And what would he come to do? He would come to his temple. And, and who was he? He was the messenger of the covenant whom you desire. You've been waiting. You've been waiting for this one. He will come. And he will come as a messenger of the covenant. There's a, a truth here that I must point out before we go on. The Old Testament prophecies are, are much like when we drove to Colorado in January last month. And we, got, we went through all of Texas, which is a lot. Texas is big, y'all. <laughs> and you go through a little bit of New Mexico from here, and you get up to Colorado, and you're going north, and then you, you start seeing these mountains, right, just to the west of whatever that interstate is. What's the interstate that goes up Denver? I always forget the names of all those. Whatever that is, it doesn't matter. You're going up, and you're going through toward Colorado Springs, and all these beautiful mountains. There's Pikes Peak on the left. Man, it's just beautiful right there. And I'm going to the mountains west of Denver, and you know it's flat here, and you know there's beautiful mountain there, and, and then you begin to go into the mountain, and guess what? There's more mountain, and there's more mountain. And there's an even taller mountain beyond that. Uh, that, that is true of the Old Testament prophecies. They, they pointed toward an event, but many times it's talking about more than one event. Here it's talking about the, the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. But at the same time, it's ta talking about, as we talk about judgment, it's talking about the second coming. It's talking about both, two mountains. And so we know Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He died on, died on the cross and rose again. That's his first coming, right? But we're in the middle of the mountains, so to speak. We have a different perspective. Like we know that Jesus came, the Messiah came. And we're looking back 2,000 years ago, he came, the messenger, the Messiah. He came. And now we await his second coming when his final judgment will happen. But if we put ourselves in the shoes, what kind of shoes were they? Sandals. The sandals of the Israelites back in those days, they don't have the perspective we have. They just long for the first. They just want God to do something like beyond what they can even imagine. And God says to them, what you've been waiting for is coming. The messenger of the covenant, all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. When God rolls out the curse, remember what the promise was, the covenant was that he would, 
he would, he would stomp the head of the serpent. That's a promise. That's a covenant. And every one of those covenants all throughout the Old Testament, every one of those promises all throughout the Old Testament is like the people of Israel leaning in, waiting in anticipation for this one. And that's the message in verse, the second part of verse one, is that this plan that I've been talking about this one, the messenger who comes, who will come to fulfill all of those promises, who will come to fulfill all of those covenants, he is coming. And he's coming to his temple, and he did, didn't he? He went to the temple when he was a boy. He went to the temple before he went to the cross and cleansed it. And in their mind, that's what they were thinking about because they, they, they didn't like their temple. Uh, because it wasn't as grandiose as the original temple. They rebuilt it, and they're like, yeah, it's not the same. It's not the same. And so God says, he's coming to the temple. And that would do something to them. The temple meant so much to them. He's coming to his temple, and he, he's going he's gonna to cleanse his temple. That's the third thing that will be a cleansing. Uh, and, and then when he comes back, he's, where is he coming back to his temple? But I think for us, there's even greater meaning for this idea that he is coming because we know that what is a temple? Who is a temple in the New Testament? We are. What it's really saying is not, not only is he coming to, to his temple, a place to go worship, it means he's coming to me. And it means he's coming to you to change you and to live within you. In order for that to happen, there had to be a third thing. There will be a cleansing. And so there's an order here. There will be a clearing, a preparation of our heart. There will be a coming where we invite him into our life. And when we do, there will be a cleansing. Verses 2 and 3 describes that. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? Well, the question is no one and some people. There's two answers to that. Uh, the, the truth is, the uh, Bible's very clear that one day every knee will bow. And so no one can. When we see Jesus for all of who he is, we're not standing. It, it's not going to happen. We can't. But at the same time, it's saying at the same time that some will be able to because we will be made right in his eyes. We'll be given his righteousness. And so we will be able to stand with him in his family, in his kingdom. So there will be a cleansing. There's two pictures of this messenger who was speaking of the Messiah. Did you see who they were? There was a refiner and there is a launderer, one who had soap and cleaning. And so the idea of refining is, is, is taking that precious metal and heating it up and, and heating up so much that it separates the, the good and goes down and the bad comes to the top and taking skimming all the bad stuff and making it pure. I don't know what you wash. I, I don't wash that much in my home, uh, but uh, my wife does a majority of that. But when I do, what do I use? Well, soap. I took a shower this morning. I use soap, y'all. Aren't y'all happy about that? It is, this is what the, the Messiah would come to do. When he comes, he comes to purify us, to make us pure. When he comes, he comes to make us clean. And do you realize that that's the, that's the point of him saying you're in a rut? We can't do that on our own. That's what he's saying. This has to happen. The refiner, the smelter has to come. The one who's the, the launderer has to come. And who's he coming to, 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 to cleanse? 
of all people. He's coming to cleanse the Levites, the priest. That's just who God's talking to, right? They were the religious leaders. And they were so unfaithful to God. So unfaithful to teaching his word. And they're the last people who deserved any, any grace from God. And who are the Levites? We talked about this when we talked about Levites. Who are the Levites? We're the religious leaders, but it's all of us because we're all responsible to lead ourselves and to teach ourselves the word of God. This is all of us. And he will purify. When this happens, he will purify us. He will make us clean. He will make us uh, pure. Not that we deserve it. And that is the scandal of the gospel. It's not about deserving. It's about the justice plan of God. When you watch a movie, my kids watched a movie last night and it depicted this. Uh, There's always this champion of justice. And you've, you've seen that. It was a Marvel movie. And so you have, you have the bad guys, and you want the bad guys to be punished, and you have the good guys, and you want them to win, right? And that, that's the justice plan. Every good movie has some happy ending at the end where the, the bad guys, they're punished, and the good people, they're, 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 they're victorious. But as I look at my life, I realize that I'm just like those priests, that, that I'm the bad guy. You know you are too. That we've all messed up. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are the bad guy. We are. I am the bad guy. According to the way man sees justice, what do we deserve? Punishment. Eternal punishment away from God. But I'm so thankful that God's economy is different. Isaiah 55 says that his ways are not our ways. I'm so thankful for that. Because in God's economy, he is the great script flipper. He flipped the script on us. He takes an adulterous, that's what we talked about last week, apathetic, hard-hearted people And at his own expense, he refines us. He purifies us into acceptable children that can come into his presence in confidence and and offer worship to him as we did today, like in freedom. That's who he is. That's my testimony. If you have experienced Christ for your, in your life, it's your testimony to today. We were at enmity with God, and because of Jesus, we no longer are. That's a heavy one, this idea of enmity with God. In verse 5, it rolls out what that means. It says, I'm going to put you on trial, and that leads to the last thing. There will, there will be a casting. There will be a casting. There's, just, there's this... There's this uh, progression if you follow. There's a clearing, and then there's a coming of the Messiah into our lives. And because of that, there's a purifying and a, a washing that we can never do on our own. But in the end, there will be a casting. I like that word better. I had to have another C, right? Because I had three. I had to come up with another one, right? I like that word better than condemning, although I could have used that one. 
But I like the word casting. If you look at verse five, so I will put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against the sorceress and adulterers and perjurers. Some of your versions may say, I will bring you close. I will draw you near for judgment. It's uh, an interesting picture to me. There will be a casting. Well, what does that casting look like? Well, here it looks like for all those who are sinners, it's not good. It's not good. That's why we come away from this passage. It's like, man, this is just not a very good passage. This is, this is harsh. Like there's judgment and that is true, but there's a casting and it goes both ways. Is there's a picture of God drawing us close. And if we are not, if we are not connected to this messenger, and if he has not purified us, if he has not made us clean, we are just like Matthew chapter 12, verse 30. Jesus says, he who is not with me is against me. It's like James chapter four, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an, in, an enemy of God. We are enemies of God without Jesus. But through Jesus, we are a friend. Through Jesus, we are his his family. And so what, what does the casting mean? I'm not going to read it, but 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 to 15 talks about the casting for those who are in Christ. And is the casting, the casting of the good stuff toward us. You know that God bestows when he casts, he casts good, he casts righteousness. He's a, we could say the casting of crowns. We should, we should call a band that, by the way. Casting crowns is, is for, for those who are in Christ, there will be a judgment for all. But the judgment for those who are in Christ is, is the crown of righteousness. It describes it in 2 Timothy, Paul does in chapter 4, verse 8. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, there's that phrase again, the righteous judge, the one who in justice pours out this judgment will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I can't wait for him to come again. You see, there's a casting some really good casting, the casting of eternal life to us, the casting of the crown of righteousness that's not ours, but Jesus gives that to us. It's his, and it's his right to give it. And through his grace, he gives it to us. And then there's the other casting. For those who are, are not believers, the judgment looks oh so different, doesn't it? Without the Messiah, without Jesus, they are still not purified. They are still not cleansed. And so the judgment looks like not experience any of the good stuff that Jesus wants us to have, that inheritance. It's all the bad stuff that no one would ever want to have. And that is the truth in God's economy. And it's his right to set it. He is just. He is right. Revelation 19 verse 11 says, And I saw heaven opened talking about when Jesus comes for the second time. This is what it looks like. And behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called faithful and true. Who is that? That's Jesus in his second coming, right? And in righteousness, he judges and wages war. And at that point, there will be a separation of those who know him and those who don't. God is just. There is consequences. There are consequences to our disobedience. 
But because he is love, the consequence of those who are in Jesus is righteousness and life. The band's going to come up. We're going to have an, an invitation. I feel like I, I go back to that phrase that in the beginning of verse 1, it's behold. It's God shaking us. Say, look, you're stuck in a rut. Wake up. I want to help you get out of that rut. And I don't know what that rut looks like for you today, but I feel like the invitation for us is first is to behold. And that should sound a little familiar because we've said that God just wants us to listen and to look and to see who he is and his beauty and his love and his grace, his faithfulness. And so the invitation today is to, in a very new way, that we would all look at his loving kindness and his character and behold who he is. And then the second is an invite to belong. There's an invite to belong, to, to, to experience the Messiah for ourselves, and through that ex- to, to be a part of the family of God. And that is my invitation to you. It's very much a gospel invitation today. If you never ex- experienced the messenger, the Messiah in your life, I'm gonna be up here would you come up and just talk to me? I'd love to tell you about how you can put your faith in him, how you can be purified, how you can be cleansed of that stuff that we have all committed that we call sin. And for all the rest of us, it's the second invite. Listen, we all have ruts. We all have something in our life that that we need God's help to lift us out of. Would you go to him today and allow him to? Would you trust him? Like, Like really see him, behold him for who he is. He is so capable. He wants to. Let him restore you. Let him reconcile you. Let him bring you back to a place Because there's two sides of that. When God brings us close, there's a knockout punch if we're not in Jesus. But when God brings us close, when we're in Jesus, there's there's an intimacy there that we all need and we all can have in this moment. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel. That simply is that there's no hope in our sin because we are in sin, except that you love us and there is never ending hope through Jesus Christ. And today, unless we're just so hard-hearted, that's gotta get us. That's gotta, that's gotta resonate with us. I remember a time where I was so in my sin that I had no hope. I can reminisce now of what change you made in my life. God, if we have experienced that, that's got to just do something within us. And if it doesn't, God, I pray for everyone that it doesn't today. God, that you would prick their heart. That they would open their mind open their heart to the Messiah Jesus and it's in his name we pray